First of all, I'd like to thank all of you for being here today and celebrating this wonderful life of a wonderful man. I see so many friends, family members here today who've traveled a great distance to be here. I'd like to let you know what this ceremony is going to be like today. We're going to read the obituary, and then we're going to sing one of Dad's favorite hymns, and then we're going to see a slideshow of Dad's life, and then Brother Aaron's going to give us a message, and uh, then we're going to have a prayer, we're going to remember Dad the way he lived every day of his life. John David Lloyd, age 68, Riverton, Kansas, entered into heaven on Wednesday, December 28, 2016, at his home, surrounded by family. Dad was born at home on August 2nd, 1948, in Ellington, Missouri, to Glenn Lloyd and Alice Clark Lloyd. He started his education in a one-room schoolhouse in Garwood, Missouri, and graduated from Ellington High School in 1966. In 1970, he graduated from Southwest Missouri State University with his bachelor's degree in education. And then in 1975, earned a master's degree in microbiology. Dad taught science for one year at Winfield, Missouri, before moving to Dallas, Texas, to, to conduct clinical studies and heart research at Parkland Hospital. He then moved to Carthage School District, where he worked for 28 years as a ninth-grade science teacher until, until his retirement in 2004. He was a member of the First Baptist Church of Riverton, where he taught Sunday school for over 20 years. Dad was a member of the Masonic Lodge of Barnesville, Missouri, was a member of the Missouri State Teachers Association, was also a former member of the Riverton Lions Club. Dad served in the United States Army during the, during the Vietnam War, where he was stationed in Germany with the U.S. Army Signal Corps. Dad enjoyed spending time with his family and friends, especially his grandchildren. He loved hiking with his boys and traveling with his friends and family. He also enjoyed spending countless hours in his garden and being on the family farm. Dad survived by his, by his wife, Pamela Ann Kitch Lloyd. We married August 12th. 1972 in Galena, Kansas. He also has a daughter, Angela Higgins, and husband, Christopher, of Carl Junction, Missouri, and a son, Jason and Whitney, of Fayetteville, Arkansas. He has grandchildren, Dylan, Emmy, Lucy, and Sylvia, a sister, Edith Bushong, and her husband, Robert, of Piedmont, Missouri, brother, Wesley, and his wife, Brenda Lloyd, of Viburnum, Missouri, brother, Randy Lloyd, and his wife, Linda, of Ellington, Missouri. He has several nieces, several nephews, and sort of a wonderful great nieces and great nephews. Now, today we are not here to mourn Dad's passing, but to celebrate his life. And although we, have, we are sad to lose such a great man, we are comforted in knowing that we will be reunited in heaven. Now, please join us in singing one of Dad's favorite hymns, I'll Fly Away. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah. Bye.
Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we just thank you for a day to honor a tremendous man. Thank you for the friends and family who are here. Lord, we ask that they will be encouraged. And Lord, we know in a wonderful way today can be life-changing. Father, we're just grateful. We're thankful. You've given us such hope. And Lord, would you give me the help needed to share a kaleidoscope of angles to the fullness of life, trusting not only in the length of years, but in your goodness, your benefits. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, take a big, deep breath. Okay. We're going to have a good time. Amen. Brother John, boy, just to speak about his life is going to be tremendous. You're going to leave with the uh, lifelong memories of many of these uh, memories. You may already know. You may have uh, been a part of them. But today we want to just till that soil and really enjoy and be thankful. So, One of the family members had written some information, and I read this morning. I wanted to share this right here. To give you an idea, I'm going to start with the roots of Brother John. All of us love to watch movies where they start with simple roots and it just ends up with greatness. And, and while you're watching that movie, you're just thinking, wow, I want the, the, you know, my simple beginnings or maybe the valleys of my life to just end up just like this. And I believe that's the life of Brother John. And so I want to read this just to begin to get that first, uh, that first plowing of the soil, if you will, of this message. John David Lord, Lord, uh, Lloyd was born August 2nd, 1948 on Webb Creek in Reynolds County, Missouri on the Lloyd family farm. He was a third of four children born to Glenn and Alice Lloyd. John was a fighter from the very beginning. His mother went into labor during the night in their small four-bedroom house. No running water, no air conditioning, of course. And remember, it was August. Strict instructions were given to the father from his mother to go wake the neighbors which he did, but not before shaving his whiskers to the dismay of his mother. She joked about it in her later years. Don't worry, there was no joking the next few days. I, I have five children. She joked about it in her latter years. The doctor made, uh, made it there from somewhere, and a neighbor lady three farms down uh, the valley, Mrs. Galloway, was a nurse. She rode up on her horse and assisted the doctor in the delivery. Okay, I've had to start wearing glasses, so it takes me a little bit to adjust. Okay. She rode up on her horse, assisted the doctor in the delivery. Brother Wes always mentioned Mrs. Galloway cutting the cord. Uh, what is even more profound about John's entry into this world was that not only was he born at home, but he came breach, which in, the time, in this time was almost always meant survival was unlikely. His mother quoted the doctor as saying, Mrs. Lloyd... You're a damn lucky woman. She knew she wasn't lucky, but rather blessed to have this fine boy. John David was named after his grandfather on both sides. John Wilson Lloyd and David Clark. Hey, I'll get over it. Okay. He grew up tough, the son of farmers. They worked to survive. 
He was raised on canned vegetables and meat from wild game and livestock raised and butchered on their farm. He stacked thousands of bales of hay in their huge barn, and they picked corn by hand. He worked with his sister and brothers, helping the parents every day with all that had to be done. They raised cattle and hogs. They farmed with horses and mules and one small tractor. They raised corn, chopped silage as well. And their house being uninsulated and only a small wood cook stove for heat would be a cold place by morning. He mentioned the dipper being froze in the bucket of water in the kitchen on many mornings. His mother stacked many layers of quilts over them at bedtime. And, of course, no indoor plumbing meant no indoor bathrooms, so restroom breaks were taken out back in the outhouse. They had a lot of fun, too. They hunted and fished regularly and rode their bicycles all over the valley. One day, John and his brother Wes were having a contest to see who could ride the farthest off the big hill by their house with no hands holding the handlebars. John's front tire hit a rock. Off he went. He broke his collarbone when he landed, too scared to tell his mother. He, he toughed it out till the next day when, when it became too noticeable and painful to hide any longer. After some serious questioning from his mother, he finally came clean and confessed what they were doing. I think they both got a good whooping. <laughs> Another time while playing in the barn, John fell off on a pitchfork, which stuck him in the chest. However, missing all of his vital organs, he healed up and was okay. All part of the fun, I suppose. The Lloyd family got electricity in the home in 1951. At some point, acquired a television set, and they watched Gunsmoke. Every Saturday night, Brother West told about John always drawing his pistol on Matt Dillon for a pretend gunfight. <laughs> they attended Bethlehem Baptist Church, and I want you to take note of how they went to church. So tomorrow, everyone can go to church like this, okay? Now, you get ready. It was four miles away. They drove their one and only vehicle, a single-cab pickup truck, and most Sunday drives to church consisted of John, his father, his brothers riding in the back. They picked up an older couple, Eli and Rosie Mitchell, on the way to the church since they did not drive or own a vehicle. So John's mother would drive the truck. Sister Edith and neighbor Rosie rode in the cab with her. And the Lloyd boys and Eli sat in the back, Rosie hollering at Eli the whole way to sit down uh, lower in the bed so he wouldn't fall out. John once told the story of walking down to the Galloway farm for a visit. It so happened that Mrs. Galloway had just fried up some squirrel meat. He was invited to eat, in which he did. He picked the squirrel's leg clean, threw the bone into the fireplace, and Mrs. Galloway then proceeded to scold him for wasting that squirrel bone as her dog would have gladly eaten it. John attended Garwood schools until, I believe, 6th or 7th grade. Garwood school was some 6 or 7 miles away. An old panel van was commissioned as a school bus and picked up all the kids in two valleys. John mentioned the kids sitting in the floor of the van and anywhere they could. The school was a one- or two-room school with multiple grades being taught at a time by the same teacher. As the story goes, the boys would eat their lunch outside and double-dog dare each other to dip their sandwich in the dirt and then eat it. It is said that John and the rest of them would not back down from the dare and consumed an unknown amount of dirt over the course of their schooling. 
thinking back on the Garwood school days, John once said that he couldn't believe anybody learned anything with the way it was back then. But he must have picked up more than you realize. He later graduated valedictorian of his senior class. When John was a young boy, his grandmother, Kate Lloyd, came and stayed with them for a time as she was getting up in years. Grandma Kate spent a lot of time sitting on the front porch. John and Wes, young boys at the time, would crawl around on the porch on all their fours pretending to be dogs, only to pass by Grandma Kate's feet and hike their legs to resemble a dog peeing on her shoes. Grandma Kate would let out a holler, then kick them in the ribs. (laughs) John spoke so highly of his upbringing and deeply loved his parents and siblings, and they in turn led him in such high regard, held him in such high regard, he truly was an exceptional brother and son to them. I say amen to that. So I'm going to stay in the same vein. Again, we want to celebrate Brother John's life, and at the end I'll be brief, but I'm going to share with you some just practical things that happened to Brother John and his exit from this life, from the earth into eternity. I'm going to be very brief there. But in the beginnings, I think, you know, we talked about the roots, and you heard so much about the roots here. Uh, We talked about movies that you could see where there's such simple beginnings and they end with such greatness. And that really was the the story of Brother John. I know when we first met him, I was just astounded at how, how vibrant, how full of life he was, how he was living every day to the fullest. He was wasting no time, whether it was at church or at home, on a vacation. And you could see as you looked over pictures and we got together the other evening that his life was just completely full. And I would choose a full life over a long life any day. If I lived to be 100 and couldn't have a full life, I would be sad. And I wouldn't measure it by years. And so here today, we're not sad. You know, we'd like to have Brother John longer. But we're so grateful for the life that he lived, the life that God gave him. And, and wanted to start here with the roots because it does matter. I've met people who've had a great career. I've done services for people who had done a a spectrum of things and done them wonderfully well, maybe one or two things, but I've never met a man, a person, who could do so many things so well in his life, that was so balanced, that made you want to be just like him in all of these areas. He's the first for me. As I watched how he conducted himself with others, how he run interference And I'm sure some of you here today understand what that means in a a setting of family or a school, in friendship. He just wanted to encourage you. It was so well-rounded, and it started with an upbringing that was so simple. You think of his education. You hear of this makeshift school bus and kids piled in, eating dirt on the end of their sandwich, playing. I mean, this guy, he ran... He ran down the hills and marched the valleys of the boot hill of Missouri, southeast corner of that state. And you might think that just because hillbillies were born in the woods somewhere, that they were simple-minded. It's not true. And we have a representative today that was born there and may have played in those valleys, but God began to take him to some of the highest heights that not only this world had to offer, but the world to come. And so I listed a few things about Brother John that I knew, and we could add to the list, but for time's sake, I want to read just a few of them. When we think of Brother John, Lord, we think of somebody who is kind, caring, loving, 
encouraging, selfless, faithful, teachable, giving. He was fun. He was a husband. He was a father. He was a grandfather. He was a friend. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a servant to Christ. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was a science teacher. He taught us to live every day, laugh in every situation. He taught us how to live and how to die and how to leave our mark on this world. Those are just a few. I noticed one thing as a denominator. I didn't sleep a great deal last night. And the denominator I spotted in Brother John's life was all of the things he valued you couldn't buy. Although he was successful, he didn't hold all of his treasure there. He remembered his roots. He remembered the simplicity of a family, the cold days in the back of a truck headed to church. He knew how to have fun in the midst of the valley. I think of this farm upbringing. It was really our connection. We connected when it came to the farm, the roots, canned vegetables, the garden, how your peppers look, whether you harden your tomato plants, how many weeds was around your uh, strawberries. These were the things. The how we, this is how we connected. He was, had an IQ. His intelligent man could communicate in a Sunday room, Sunday school room in a way I couldn't teach from the pulpit in hours and hours of preaching. And everyone that came out said, I love to hear Brother John Lloyd teach. Spectacular. But all these areas of his life, he was so balanced. Done them so wonderfully. Isn't it an example for us? And you'll leave here more encouraged. If he could be here today and maybe you don't feel so good about an area of your life, I promise you he would hug you, shake your hand, and only encourage you. How about the apple shed the first 11 years of his life? Parents who had an 8th grade education. A walk to the pond where he's fishing. And the other night I looked and there was another picture of him walking to the pond with his grandchildren. Again, I say to you, money can't buy it. He was having these experiences not only in his life, but he was sharing this experience with his very family. He knew that you had to make memories. They didn't come for free. It took time, and sometimes it did take money to travel across the country. His children, remember, traveled to all 48 states, sleeping on the ground in a tent during the storm or good weather, whatever it brought, and he was bent on making sure he could get the fullest life God promised to him. I then looked at the tools on the wall, and I'm still talking about his roots. And it said that he brought home the tools from the farm. And, of course, when he came to my house, he spotted a homemade sawmill. So when I see a stick on the ground, I really don't see a stick. I may see an axe handle as well. And I looked at every one of the tools that was on the wall, and all of them had a homemade handle. He'd watch somebody with a pocket knife carve out a handle and put a hole in there that would fit just right that wouldn't come loose the next day while you were using it. And that's what he's seen. It's even in his house today. And then I wonder about the sounds of the farm. There's some days I'm hired to go clean up an old farmstead and it's over 100 years old and it's got an old barn with milk stanchions in it and it's got the hayloft and it's got a little two-story house and a porch on the front and a porch swing and, 
And you see out back an old sulky rake where they used to drag the hay in so they could bale that hay to feed the cows during the winter. And sometimes I'll just sit still before, unfortunately, I'll take a dozer and clear off most of what's there. And I'll say to my son, can you hear that sound? And he says, what are you talking about, Dad? I said, 50 or 60 years ago, there were children playing in this barn. They were milking cows. They were bailing hay. Supper never tastes better than after you work hard all day long. And Brother John knew what that felt like. He knew what it meant to work hard to get not only where you want to go, to achieve the kind of goals that really meant something that would be lasting. And it's such a lesson for us today that God could encourage us to do the things that really last. The hayfield, the gardens, the squirrel dinners, the quietness on a hill or in a valley. Again, he was born in the hills and the hollers. That's with an A-R at the end, the hollers. When they took John to college, because his parents didn't have a car, you heard that they had a truck with some neighbors or a president who did have a car. They took John to college. Now, in our day, you spent a few years getting ready for college, and Brother John, this is what he received. The family, his parents loaded, and the other uh, family or the neighbors that were there loaded in the car. When they got to the college in Springfield, his dad shook his hand, and they got back in the car, and John was now at college. I thought it was a wonderful pattern. I think I'll try it in two years with my daughter that's here if she's listening. What confidence did that father have in his son that wherever he was dropped in the earth? Not only because what he had taught him, but every Sunday as they went to a church, showing him an example of a God in heaven who could provide for you no matter where you are. He made some friends at college, and they're lifelong friends. And today, I think most, if not all of them, are here. And I want to say thank you on behalf of this family for being a friend to John. And we know if you were speaking now from the front, you would say he's the best friend you ever had. Again, it takes time. To make memories, to make friends, you have to show yourself friendly, Solomon wrote in Proverbs. You have to really take time and do it consistently. And Brother John taught us how to be consistent again in all of these areas of life. John could have had anything he wanted in the professional world. No question, he could have studied in any area and been completely successful. But he chose the things that would last. Did you hear that? He chose the things that would last the longest. He chose you. He chose every one of you. And he knew it would last the test of time. As you think about Brother John and the family and you see their mountains of pictures, all, all that comes back at you is family, the value for family. What he did with his family. You see trips and all of the things that took place. I mean, there are endless memories. This family will spend the next years and his wife with such joy looking at the time invested and the time spent in their family and looking forward, not only that, but to the family of God that Brother John went to today that is secure in the heavens. And don't get me started there because I'll start preaching. That's what preachers do. This was a good one. (laughs) 
Brother John had just graduated college. I love this one. I asked Pam if I could share this. And so, of course, you see how handsome Brother John is in all of his pictures. And he was headed for Winfield, Missouri. But at Winfield, Missouri was a spot he was going to teach as a science teacher. And there were four single teachers that were all female waiting to see what this new science teacher looked like. (laughs) Now, we didn't have enough time for all of the details on how this rolled out. (laughs) But Pam won. But can I say to you, if Brother John speaks today, he won as well with her. Wow. He taught for a few months, then was drafted into the military. This is another great one. And he decides, you know, wants to be engaged to Pam. So he mails the engagement ring home. That's what you do if you're in another country. (laughs) Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? But Pam said she couldn't open because on a teacher's salary, she was limited and had to wait a week or two before she could actually get this delivery and then put this ring on her finger. It's wonderful. (laughs) They traveled to all 48, the lower 48 states as a family. And on behalf of Brother John, again, if he could say something from here today, he would ask each of us, including myself, to take the time this next year. And every one of us here make special effort to either go on vacation ourselves, if you're a single person or maybe find someone to go with you. If you're a working father or mother, just cut a spot out in your calendar and decide you're going. And then write a letter to Pam to let her know how your trip went. The timing will be impeccable. And she will be such an encouragement to her. Would you do that? Joplin's where Pam and John raised the children. And again, you can put the city boy or the country boy in the city, but you can't take the country out of him. And so we're looking at pictures the other night. And Angie's showing me pictures of where they had made a snowman. And, you know, normally the city folks uh, would go buy all the neat things to put on the snowman, not Brother John. It's a rusted coffee can for a hat on the top of the snowman, which, you know, you see him playing ball and spending time and his grandchildren, all the pictures where he's just taking time while they're on vacation to make sure they could fill up every moment, fill up every day, Just grasp and get a hold of everything that they could see and do. Is really a tremendous man. He never wasted a day, is one of the comments his wife made. He never wasted a day. How many days we can waste. Sometimes feeling sorry for ourselves. And Brother John, even in this last year, uh, found no pity for himself. Was really just still encouraging others and, and living a life of strength and uh, an example for each one of us, tremendous. And as I watch the, the wife and children, I told them I wouldn't capitalize here because they don't want to cry a lot during this service, but it, it's, I, want, I want to say as, as a minister, it was so obvious 
how much he loved all of you and how much you love your father. And no one can ever take that. Again, they can't buy it. You can't sell it. It's a treasure of a heritage that Solomon wrote about. And Solomon was a tremendously wealthy man, but knew that he had lost to some degree, but still had wisdom to write to others and say, this is the heritage that will last. A godly man will have a heritage. I'm so confident that the baton has been passed and that we'll still see generations. And Brother John came from a tremendous heritage, and that heritage keeps going. God bless each of you. You may be surprised at this, but everyone knows how much Brother John liked to hike, right? He loved to go on vacation. Do you know who actually stimulated these hiking trips? It was Sister Pam. Early on, she's the one that stimulated. I mean, all he had ever bounced along was the hills and the hollers. You know, they weren't thousands of feet tall. They're just maybe 50 feet tall, 100 feet tall. But Brother John, one thing I knew when I come and started pastoring here at the church was that He loved to go on vacation. He loved to go to Colorado. He loved his friends. He loved his family. And can you imagine going from the boot hills of Missouri to some of the first times he's seen those great big mountains that he could try to scale? I mean, it wasn't like the place where he wrecked his bicycle. Uh, It wasn't the spot you could ride your uh, snowboard down or otherwise. He lived very healthy all of his life. So encouraging. Brother John lived a healthy life, a very disciplined life. He was also very frugal. Pam tells a story of Brother John one time wanting to uh, go buy some blocks for a project that he had, but decided later in order to save money, he would just make his own form. And Brother John poured all of his own concrete blocks. But do you know what amazes me about that? Is he would never hold back when it came to giving to somebody else. When it came to making sure they had what they needed, he wasn't going to hold back anything. And yet he would take her Christmas lights and search everyone so that he could be as frugal as possible with money itself. But if it came to your life and you had a need, I can assure you he would bankrupt himself to help you get just where you needed to be and have what you would need. I'm sure that the friends that are here would say they remember hiking. They remember camping trips. They remember time spent with Brother John. I'm sure that each of them would say he walked a true Christian life. He was an example. Not only to them as friends, but he was an example for the church. And I want to say to the church here at Riverton, while I'm addressing, again, there's so many angles to his life, he was such a balance. Our connection had to do with the roots of our upbringing but he spotted even my weakness and you don't even know the times he came just to encourage me and I'll tell you as a minister there's not too much of that most will pull and pull and in my since then I no longer pastor the church at Riverton, but I bow myself on a little milk stool day after day. Never forget a man who stood in the gap. Though he was sick at that time, 
I ask morning by morning, God, will you, will you do something greater for Brother John than you do for me? And thank you for showing me an example of a man who would selflessly always encourage your spokesman. Tremendous. Tremendous. I know there's a lot of information. Are you okay? Okay, one more breath for me. Okay. Okay, I know there's a lot of information. Man, what a full life. Would you agree with me? A full life. Wow. John gave glory to God. I recently sent Psalm 103 to Pam and asked her to read Psalm 103, and it talked about all of God's benefits. But there's one verse in that, and I want to share it with you. Is that okay? I want to share this one verse with you. In the last of Psalm 103, he said, Bless you, the Lord, all you host, you ministers of his that do his pleasure. Brother John really did God's pleasure. And see, God is able to use each of us. And years ago, I had my children gathered up, teaching them the 15th chapter of the book of John. And we was doing some gardening. And I can tell you, they don't want to garden anymore. They probably won't even have a flower bed at their house when we're down at our house. But I taught them that God would use the weakest part of the branch to produce the fruit. And God does this. And so he used the weakness of our lives in order to produce the greatest fruit. And apple trees that way. And that's why you get too heavy of an apple tree. You'll go by and you see all the, the poles holding the limbs up. But Brother John, in humanity, each of us are very weak. I think we would that before God, but God is pleasured and is so pleased to use you, each of you, and use Brother John so many ways, so many times to do his pleasure. He really did use Brother John to do the thing that pleased him, and so it's not a hard thing for us to approach the end of this man's life in the earth and begin to talk about eternity. Is it okay with you if I begin to transition now and start my descent? Okay. They're like, yes, hurry up, you've been... I want to say also to, to Pam that the George Jones song that we heard on this, on this video, these videos that were playing, Walk Through This World With Me, there's no question he had you on his mind when he was listening to that song. And boy, did you walk through this world wonderfully well. Um, I love the adventurous spirit about Brother John and yourself and how you were able to go so much. It really taught me. Um, even in my retirement years, just to not to look at that as being a downtime, but to look at that as being a time, just go every chance you get. Thank you so much for teaching us that. And uh, today we would say thank you to Brother John Eternity, although he's having more fun than we are today, I can tell you. Uh, we're, we're excited about that. Uh, but as that song played, Walk Through This World With Me, I just thought, man, what a picture of both of you walking together, doing all the things that we're talking about uh, today. He had only hiked the hills and the hollers and the valleys until he met you. You helped really stimulate and, and show us a pattern of a husband and a wife and even biblically the strength that's there. And I've seen that strength in the last months. And I know that uh, in general your family's been somewhat private and you like your own time. But God bless you. You, you are an example of a tremendous wife. Such a pattern. And, and I know that the comfort of the Holy Spirit will continually encourage you with that. And I'm so thankful for that. It's going to be oh tremendous for uh, your daughter-in-law, your, your uh, grandchildren to see 
a tremendous example. Thank you for not only holding each other's hand, but finishing the course. And, uh, of course, Brother John, we know sometimes he'd go on them hiking trips to the top of the mountain. And uh, so I've got to tell you, he did go hiking one more time. Okay, okay. Oh, boy. Okay, I'm going to go through this as quickly as possible as I begin to quit here. But I told the family I want to share with them what I don't, uh, I at least don't think I do a very good job at times of sharing the practical end of what happens when you die. And the first thing I want to address is the suffering of a believer. Is this, is this okay? Is this expected? Is this abnormal? And can I say to you from a practical viewpoint that the suffering of mankind in general happens to all people, Okay. So all of us can get sick. All of us can suffer during this life. In fact, Jesus said, in this life you would have trouble, but to be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world. It was this hope beyond what we see and what we endure that causes the fragrance of the pleasing of the Lord in our life. And so as we've seen Brother John undergo some suffering and sickness and ailments of his own body, it's easy to say, boy, that just doesn't look fair. But really, until the, until the fragrance of what is internal in a man like this faces this kind of uh, affliction, if you will, then you don't get to enjoy the true essence of the faith that he has placed in his God from the time he was on the back of a truck until the times that he taught Sunday school for 20 years. These scriptures rang not just intellectually, though he was a man of IQ, studied himself, could have been anything in this world, all that it had to offer from a professional viewpoint. There was something internally in Brother John that really held the test. There was enough meat uh, into the soil that held him, and, and God held him close. And I can tell you, it's wonderful when God does that. So suffering is part of life. The second thing that I want to say uh, to each of us is that Christ in the 14th chapter of John, and I am going to go very quickly, less than 10 minutes. Is that, will everyone give me that? Okay, I'm always, okay, because I know you're like, whoa, I hope this preacher doesn't take off and like preach for an hour and a half, and I don't know which way to go. Okay, I'm going to do this in 10 minutes. Is that okay? Okay. Jesus Christ said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believed in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to go. Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare it for you, I will come again. And I'm going to receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And whether I go, you may know when I go. So Christ wasn't going to leave without making a promise to every believer that when he came back, he could absolutely take care of you while you're in the world, that you could function in the area of faith, sometimes not being able to see, not literally seeing Jesus, but that Jesus could then somehow be in the essence of a man or woman. And we need to draw some very clear lines here. And, and listen, I'm no good to God. My salt's no good to him unless I'm honest with this generation. We've got to be careful, everyone under the sound of my voice. Every time someone prints the morning sun that someone just went to heaven, it doesn't mean that it's so. It doesn't mean that it's so. Believers have been guaranteed a spot in eternity. Eternal life nowhere in the scriptures is promised to unbelievers, to the proud. God resists the proud. This is why in humble beginnings, Brother John could start in humility. And it's easier to set yourself at the back of the table and let God move you forward than to poke your chest out and go to the front. This was the opposite of his life. His life was a life of humility, which always showed strength to those which were around him. And so Christ went to prepare a place, not just for, in general, for Brother John. 
when Christ left the earth and then sent the Holy Spirit to allow knocking on the hearts of every person that would ever enter the world, that they would never have an excuse, that no matter where they sat, they would never escape in eternity. The judge that would sit there and all of creation would sit on the witness stand, looking at the judge of all, the consummation of the ages. This is not just preacher talk. This is the kind of stuff that matters. And you know what? I just stopped by an accident the other day and I watched a man who's an ER nurse who wouldn't quit until this man lived. And, and we, we did that together and I held the head and I whispered Jesus into his ears because the only thing I knew as a preacher would matter when he left this earth was the name of Christ. All streams don't lead to the same place. All religions don't get you to heaven. Jesus Christ was born eight pounds, six ounces, incarnate in a virgin, in a manger, in an inn where there was no room for him. He had the humblest of beginnings, but God exalted this man after he had hung on a cross and suffered in this world and then told us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. God prepares it for you and I and Brother John. And so as Brother John staked his faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, he wasn't at random. He taught Sunday school out of the Bible because the Bible is infallible. It's the Word of God. It's the very concrete of the ages. This is what made Brother John the oak in the forest of humanity. You can take humble beginnings and they end up as drunkards. But you mix Christ and all of a sudden you've got a man built with roots. You've got the first psalm being written. Try to be careful, I'll preach, okay? Oh, I gotta back up. Okay, here we go. I'm gonna do this. I really am. How many more minutes I got? Four. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can I talk? I don't when I get loud, I'm not yelling at you. I'm getting excited. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. Okay, so Paul the Apostle wrote in Second Corinthians that if you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. He was writing to the Corinthian believers. In contrast to that, in Luke chapter 16, and I know I have to go fast just for the sake of time. I We could do this for a month. In Luke 16, two men die. Jesus teaches to us that one man was a rich man. He enjoyed sumptuously all the treasures of the earth. See, he didn't count the things that Brother John counted. Brother John counted the things that you couldn't buy, which was all the love and the hope and the heritage and the children and the family and all the things God promised would make a man the happiest in his life, that his bank account would never last, that they'll sell you off at one auction. All you've got left is what you did with those that mean the most to you who will go generations behind you and become what you are. And that's what Brother John did. He invested there. But if you're absent from the body, you're present from the Lord. The rich man dies. And you know what it said about him? He was buried. That's it. Didn't make any promise. They didn't print in the morning sun paper that he went to heaven. But you know what it said about the poor man, Lazarus, who knew he had nothing. He started with a humble beginning, but he stretched himself toward God, put his faith in him. You know what it said about him? That angels came and got him. And angels carried him into the bosom of Abraham. And I don't have time to talk about all that, the reason the bosom of Abraham rather than a place called heaven, but there's a likeness there. And so today, as we go on and we see that the believer and the unbeliever are completely different in how they die. That's why the Old Testament prophet said concerning the man that was righteous, I would like to die the death of a righteous man. And can I say, I've held the hands of countless numbers, especially older men has been my forte, who never served in the church but came to Jesus Christ. I've seen those who rejected him. I wouldn't want to die the death of an unbeliever. 
And I thank God that my friend, as I whispered in his ear concerning the hope and the calling and the resurrection of Christ, that I didn't have to wonder if I was dealing with a believer. And as I see the peace that's now enjoined in a family, and look at this that's here. I mean, there are times that I preach funerals and you'd, I carried the casket because there wasn't enough pallbearers to get there. And you come today and you relish this family with love and hope and it's what you're doing and your time matters. And thank you so much that you came and did this. And then when it comes to heaven, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. I saw John, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he dwells with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and shall be no more death neither sorrow or crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I think that's the hope to this family. You want to know what Brother John experienced? Was God was about to make everything brand new. He didn't have enough of a mind to ever enter his heart, all that God had prepared for him. And the scripture says that. Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall not inherit, uh, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, the murderer, the whoremonger, the sorcerer, the idolater, the liar, shall have their part in a lake of fire and brimstone. It says, We may not like this. But preachers are lying to you if you think everybody enters eternity. It's not true. They'll enter eternity somewhere, but it won't be in the presence of God. And I hear this all the time. He's in a better place. I guarantee you, Brother John's in a better place. But not everybody that dies, dies and goes to a better place. And the only, I don't know, I can't tell you where you're headed, but I know one thing, there's a spirit of God that when Christ was ascended, that raised him from the dead, that knocks on the heart of every person under the sound of my voice. And if you don't believe it, there's a day in eternity that God will read back the recordings of countless preachers across the land when they said, I didn't know. And he said, you heard this one preach. And he told you Jesus Christ was the only way. And they're going to have this recording on a witness stand before a judge of all the ages. And you think that we do these menial things and and sometimes we don't even know where we go if we're going to die i tell you the spirit of god will assure you of your salvation i'm a baptist and proud of it that you can be assured of a salvation that stands that holds you that takes you down deep that doesn't cast your salvation upon your own workings and doings okay now you know why they got rid of me no they didn't they didn't They didn't. I'm just having fun with this is my last verse. Okay. Uh, Brother John's awesome. (sighs) Okay, Brother John, I'm preaching one more one year, brother. He did it right back there. I'd be like, one more. He's like, oh, yeah, one more. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I laugh with you, but I'm very serious about what I'm reading. And if you want any of this information, somehow we can get it to you. I want to show you the fat last hike that he hiked to. And I was really digging around the scriptures. And there's two mountains talked about in Hebrews. And, of course, Brother John liked to hike. If you don't mind, blow my nose. Okay. Not very professional. I have to. Okay. There are two mountains. One of them was a mountain you could not approach. It was so scary. And sometimes we think of God that way, kind of being this scary thing. It's not true. 
But then at the end of this, it talks about another mountain that you can come to, that you are come to, especially as believers. The 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews starts out with, seeing that you're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and weight that does so easily beset us, seeing that they are there. So it is true that if grandma and grandpa were believers, they really are with God, hoping that you will serve Christ and end up exactly where they are. But can I tell you that if you're an unbeliever and you have believing parents, grandparents, or friends that go into eternity, there's no, you will not be following them into the same spot unless you make Jesus Christ alone your Savior. That means that at the point of your life, there should be a time when you're convicted at the heart that you, if you were to stand before God, would find yourself a sinner. For Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. The issue is not whether we've failed. We've not compared ourselves one to another as one would say, I'm better than my neighbor. But we've compared ourselves to Christ. Christ and found ourselves utterly in contempt of that courtroom if we had to stand. Therefore, we say to him, humbly as we bow, that I believe and put my faith in the Son of God, that you send him incarnate, and that he was bore the, the very weight of the cross because of my sin, and that I could ask forgiveness at any time, anywhere, that God opened, that he so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, and I want you to be a whosoever will, one of anybody that could choose Christ as their only begotten Savior, and then enjoy not only this life, but eternal life to come. That's what being born again is. And see, there's an assurance to that. It's not just an intellectual parade. It's not getting agreeing to six points with the preacher, having him pat you on the back and saying, uh-huh, brother, you're saved. What it is is coming to God and bowing yourself in such humility that he is able to assure you and stamp you with this. This never comes and goes. It stays there. He begins to crucify who you were because the spirit I was made of before I was saved is not the same spirit I'm made of today. And the spirit of goes back to Christ. That's why Brother John goes from a bed in Riverton, Kansas. His body may decay, but his spirit and soul go right back with God. The one who made him to stand on the faith of Jesus Christ, who conquered death, came out of the grave. Every time we enjoy Resurrection Day, it is in view of the fact that as God raised him from the dead, that he will raise my friend. And as you get to the end, you see the mountain that you're able to come to and listen to what the Hebrew writer says. He said, but you are come. And imagine this, Brother John doing his last hike trip for you are come to mount zion under the city of the living god the heavenly jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels innumerable since when he hiked this trip there was he couldn't count the angels and yes maybe god orchestrated one or two or many to come get him as he did the man in luke 16 and i was confident of that as i whispered in his ear the angels will come and get you my brother but as he had camped this great mountain that he would last hike in god's courtyard he an innumerable company of angels. He said he found the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. These are born again people, mama and daddy and grandparents and friends and those that prayed for him and prayed for their grandchildren. As these grandchildren sit on the front pew, somebody prayed prayers that marched around the throne of God until brother John served and there he is. And then listen what happens. And, and, and which are written in heaven and to the God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of just men made perfect, he's getting to see those who were just men who were made perfect in the blood of Jesus Christ. The mediator of the new covenant, Jesus, the blood of just men made perfect. Uh, I'm sorry, I skipped one there. The sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him who speaks. For if they escape not him who uh, refused to speak on earth, 
you will not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice shook the earth, but now promise, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only but the heaven, and this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken of the things in earth and that are made, and those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And I say to you in my closing, he may have started in the hollers and the valleys of southeast Missouri in the boot hill marching down. He may have enjoyed the altitude and the attitude of the God who created all that he's seen as he pointed out all of the layers of the Grand Canyon that was cut out in a day of the largest flood ever known to mankind. And then you see the heights of the heavens. I don't know what Brother John did, but I see him out here looking and I see him on every one of these pictures looking toward the heights of the altitude and what would grow and what wouldn't grow and what oxygen levels there were. But he had never seen a mountain like the mountain he's seen on December 28th when God took breath out of his body, sent his spirit and soul to be with God, and he began to see something that only the believers are able to see. And today we set with a hope. We have a reason to rejoice. We can say that God is an an all-knowing... He's enough. He's enough. Away with the services where we just paddle around in muddy water hoping for the best. Let us drive our stake with the one who was born of a manger. Walk the sandy seashores of Galilee. You know, the penniless preacher who never built an army, never orchestrated politics, never saved a million dollars. Yet he turned the world upside down. Let's cast ourselves on the nail-pierced hands of Christ so that at the end of our days we can say we've finished with the heritage. I encourage this family, the children and grandchildren, all the friends that are here. Brother John, he knows I'm rowdy. He knows I am. He loves you. And I want to say on behalf of this family, amen. I'm going to have Angie come. There's no way for me to stop. You got me preaching, you see what will happen. First of all, we just want to thank Aaron so much for doing this for us. And, um, wow, huh, I see a lot of you. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to, on behalf of Mama and Jason and myself and the whole family, we just want to thank you so much for coming and sharing this day with us to celebrate Daddy's life. And it is a little different, but that's what we wanted. We wanted to have a celebration. And, you know, some of you traveled far to be here to, have, to be with us today, and we surely thank you for that. Um, Daddy had core group of friends. He really did. And they are the ones that have traveled, you know, 50 plus years with him. And they uh, saw daddy and us through births and deaths. And, um, you know, we're just so grateful for them because um, that is, you know, that they saw daddy, they saw daddy truly, you know, and we're there with daddy when he hiked, you know, his last mountains. So, um, but we want to leave you with something. Daddy left us with advice and uh, Jason mm-hmm. and I, And so we want to share that advice with you all. Uh, The first thing is to keep positive, um, to laugh a lot, to enjoy your family, and don't sweat the small stuff. (laughs) Amen. If you would, amen. If you would please bow your heads with me as I close in prayer, and then the ushers are going to have the family go out in the foyer, and then they're going to come by to dismiss you in rows so you can greet them. So thank you so much. Amen. Father.
Uh, we thank you for Brother John Lloyd's life. We thank you for not just a humble beginning, but a tremendous end. Lord, would you help us? Give us the help that we need to finish the course in faith. I pray for this wife who's near and dear to your heart, the widow, is the one you care. You said pure religion undefiled is this, that you visit the fatherless and the widow in their affliction. I thank you, Father, for the family. And I know, Lord, that the roots that have begun to grow in their lives will continue to flourish. I thank you for this heritage that's protected. I thank you for every person, every friend, relative that has come today. And, Lord, we won't leave the same. So many great times together. Thank you for the service of Brother John to your bride, the church, for so many years. If he had this care over your wife, I can only imagine the goodness and the greatness of this hour, even the same hour at which I'm speaking. Thank you, Lord, for giving us hope in Jesus' name.